0: If you would, please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, in our worship today, let us remember that your love for your people and for your church knows no limits. Father God, we are here to listen to your word, to bring to you the concerns of our hearts, and to join together in your fellowship. Speak to us this morning through your scripture, through hymns, through prayer, and even through silence. Heavenly Father, the events around the world of the past 2 weeks give us much to cause, give us much cause to ask you to calm our anxious hearts and to seek your mercy and grace for those who were involved in conflict and war. We plead for peace and protection for people around the world from the forces of evil and from the failings of men. We hold in your light all who live with anxiety, fear, dread, and despair across the globe, especially those families whose loved ones have been taken hostage in the conflict in Israel. We lift up to you all people across the world who yearn for deep and lasting peace. We ask that you remind us to trust in you, Lord, you who is our refuge and strength, you who is a very present help in times of trouble. We also lift up this morning those in our congregation in need of our specific prayers. We pray for Jim King and the loss of his mother, Martha Hammontree. We pray for Sandy and Celia Stratman and the loss of Sandy's mother, Marilyn McCormack. We continue to pray for Bill and Cindy Hay, as Bill is in the hospital again for ongoing medical care. We pray for Halston and Katie Kirkpatrick as their daughter Chloe recovers from surgery We pray for healing and wisdom for next step in the coming days for that young family. Uh, We give praise for the birth of Julian Thomas Nelson and his parents, Anastasia and Thomas Nelson, and we pray for Robbie as he prepares to go to Peru uh, with Peru Mission on October 30th to speak at a Reformation conference. Finally, we pray for the Honduras Medical Missions Team with Forgotten Children Ministries who will be leaving on the 28th and the members from our church, from Faith Presbyterian, from Briarwood, and other churches who will be joining them. Pray for their safety, pray for open hearts from those who will receive health care, and that they will receive, receive and experience the love of Christ as our team, as the hands and feet of Jesus, and that people would hear the gospel and believe. It's in your son's precious name that we make these prayers.
1: Amen. All right, we've been preaching through the book of Numbers here at Covenant Prez. And just to remind you where we are, uh, last week was shocking. Uh, God's people, uh, they started grumbling at the beginning when God rescued them from Egypt. And they just kept grumbling. They grumbled a lot. And and last week's passage, just in case you weren't here or you forgot, uh, God's people were grumbling quite a bit. Even though God was a very faithful provider and he had a very good plan for his people... And the end of last week's passage was not just like the general grumbling of God's people, but even Moses' siblings opposed him. Moses, his brother Aaron, his sister Miriam, they ended up opposing him. And the end of that passage, God shows up and brings severe but clear discipline. And so you kind of see that God's people are you know, they have a really important lesson right in front of them. Uh, God did not uh, coddle them when they grumbled and God brought severe discipline on the people, even Moses' brother and sister, when they opposed the leadership that he had chosen for them. And so it seems like uh, things are moving in the right direction and that's exactly right. Part of what all these stories keep showing us is the remarkable patience of God, the remarkable graciousness and kindness and generosity of God to people like us uh, who blow it, uh, but are connected to a very gracious God. And then we get to our passage today, and i read that just a second. Today we're looking at uh, chapter 13 and the first few verses of, of chapter 14. And this is a really important part of the story because here's how great God is. Even though his people have grumbled and complained and opposed Moses and opposed him, guess where they are? They're on the border of the promised land. He rescued them from Egypt. He's led them through the wilderness. He's pitched his tent in the middle of them. He's living among them. They're marching. He's marching with them. And he gets them, even though all that opposition, he gets them right to the border of the promised land with all of that patience and all of that grace and all that kindness. And he has a very good plan for them he rescued them from bondage he led them through the, through the wilderness and now he's giving them the promised land it's a sheer gift they're going to go in their promised land and he's going to give it to them and it's a land flowing with milk and honey what could go wrong well let's read the passage here we go our passage it's on page 11 in your worship god and um i'll be reading parts of chapter 13 now I'll read parts of chapter 14 here in a little bit this is the word of the lord Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of Yahweh, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is. And whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes we skip a little bit here uh, but we're told that they uh, go to a particular valley where the grapes are growing like crazy and the clusters are so big uh, they put clusters of grapes on poles and two men carry these enormous clusters of grapes on poles and they actually call the place the valley of clusters which is amazing so they really see ah it's a good land Verse 25, at the end of 40 days, they, the spies, returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they, to- and they told him, we came to the land to which you send us. It flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. All flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Uh, The goal of this sermon today and this passage is simply this. I want you to stick with God. That's it. That's the goal of the sermon. I want you to stick with Jesus. I want you to stick with God's plan and not reject God and not reject his plan. That's the goal of this passage and that's the goal of this sermon. Uh, Jesus um, is the central character of the whole Bible. And Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And at one point in John chapter 5, John quotes Jesus as saying, Moses wrote about me. Jesus said that. Today I want you to see... Uh, That Jesus is the ultimate plan of God that you must not reject. But here's what we're going to see today in the passage. Number one, Yahweh had a very, very good plan for his people. I mean, so good. Number two, Israel rejected Yahweh's very good plan. Number three, Jesus is God's plan And you must not reject him So that's our sermon today Uh, Let's look at it First of all Our first point is that Yahweh had one very, very good plan This is pretty quick Because it's just so obvious, right? Uh, We've been tracking the story of God's people For quite a while And um, at one point God's people The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob They were in a terrible situation They were in Egypt in bondage And they could not free themselves But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob Had made promises To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants. So as it were, metaphorically, Yahweh rolled up his sleeves. He came down to Egypt. He showed his great power. He defeated Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He rescued his people and brought them to himself. Then he led them into the wilderness. He led them in the wilderness, and they were in the wilderness for over a year. He brought them to Mount Sinai. He told them about himself, his ways. He invited them to adopt his ways. And he said, hey, I'm going to live among you and be in your midst, but I have a plan for you. And it was very clear, going back into like the ancient records of their ancestors, God had planned to have his people live in a very special, verdant fertile land that was a land flowing with milk and honey a rich and wonderful place but better than that god was going to be with them god would be their god and they would be his people it was going to be so great if they just walked with god and kept his ways they wouldn't borrow money from any nations they'd loan money to the nations because god's blessing on them would be obvious and visible and wonderful i ask you Did Yahweh have a good plan for his people? I mean, I rescue you from bondage. I lead you through the wilderness and teach you my ways. I take you to this beautiful land and we live in it together and enjoy the best of life in fellowship. Friends, that's a very, very good plan. That was Yahweh's plan. And and, and you probably can note, it's kind of obvious that that plan, that pattern fits your life as well, Right? Um, God saw you and me and our sin and our rebellion and trapped under the power of sin and he sent his son to rescue us. You and I, if we believe in Jesus, we have been saved from the wrath of God, from our own sin and the dominion and power of sin. We've been set free. We've had an even better exodus. Right now we're living in the wilderness journey. We're journeying with God. The Because God sent his son to pay for our sins. Now his son lives among us by the spirit and leads us to the wilderness. And one day, God's own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will come back and usher you and me into the new heavens and the new earth forever. Does God have a good plan or not? It's a really, really good plan. And now this is really tricky, but you should stick with it. All right, how about that? God's plan is great. And I want you to stick with it, and not reject him, and not reject this good plan. Well, that's the first point. Yahweh had a very, very, very good plan for his people. It's all through the narrative uh, we heard them. Uh, the ten spies were sent. In, uh, the twelve spies were sent in. Um, two of them were named Caleb and Joshua. Didn't read that part. And uh, they go in, and all of them, all of them, see that the land truly is good. But when they got back, secondly. I want you to see how it is unthinkably Israel in the wilderness on the border of the promised land rejects Yahweh's good plan and more than that they reject him so look at that with me Uh, pick up there in verse 28 of chapter 13 it's there on page 11 or in your bible uh, they 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 confess hey it's it's a good land It's, it's it's pretty great however the people who dwell in the land are strong the cities are fortified the cities are very large and this is fun especially if you're younger we saw the descendants of anak there what they just said is we saw giants in the land that's what they said Uh, There there were some sort of mythological creatures and and people, men of renown of old, all the way back to the Nephilim Nephilim in Genesis 6, probably actually very large humans. And so uh, what this report begins to say is, uh, at first, like we saw some tall people there. Pretty soon it becomes everybody was the size of uh, a Goliath, though no one's met Goliath yet. Uh, It just snowballs into hyperbole. Negative hyperbole. Remember Caleb, uh, one of the two that, that trust the Lord. He says, "No, no, no, no. We can do it. We can go up. We can defeat them." Uh, but then they respond to him as well in verse thirty-one. The men who went up with him, the very men who walked through, they, they started the south. They went all the way up to the north of the land and came back down. They say all the all the beautiful land, all everything. It was everything God said it was. And they said, we're not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the people a bad report. I just want you to see that there are 12 people who go in. They start in the south. They go all the way through the land. They, all the way, they come all the way back. And 10 of them, well, sorry, 12 of them say the land is good. It, it's just as Yahweh told us it would be. But 10 of them say, but we can't go. We simply can't go because their cities are bigger than we thought. They're more fortified than we thought. And the enemy's bigger than we thought. And then they said that really pathetic line. that you hear it there at the end of chapter 13? Uh, we saw the Nephilim in the land. We saw these giants. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them, I don't know if you see your own psyche in the mirror there, um, but uh, the, they see someone that's impressive and they begin to look at themselves as, as really, really weak. But not only do they see themselves as small and weak, they're sure that they can see it too, right? I'm absolutely sure that we can, we could tell they, they really saw us as shrimps. Um, they were giants. And so that's where it was. So the, so the, the 10 out of 12 uh, basic, uh, they say we can't go. We can't go. We can't, we, we can't do God's plan. We can't receive the gift. It won't work. And so it goes worse from there. Also still in part of our second point, as Israel directs the plan, the bad report of the leaders spreads to the whole community. So pick with me in chapter 14, verse 1 there. And we'll just read a few verses. What's the the result of this bad report of five, six of the scouts, 10 out of 12? Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or that we had died in this wilderness. Why is Yahweh bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, look at the rebellion. Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, who had chosen their leader? Yahweh himself, their God their redeemer, had chosen Moses to lead them. And now they're like, we don't like Yahweh's choice. Secondly, where did Yahweh say they should go? You should go into the promised land. Moses and Joshua will lead you in there. And they say, we don't want to go that way. We're going to go back. We're going to choose our own leader. We're reversing course and we're going back to Egypt. Isn't it amazing? What they've done is they've so elevated Egypt human perception of circumstances that they've become convinced that their plan is better than God's plan. They've privileged human perception of their circumstances so highly they can't trust God anymore and so they trust themselves over what God has clearly said. God's very good plan for them. They're won't. They they're no, they're no longer on board for God's good plan because they have seen the evidence. The cities are too big. The soldiers are too tall. It won't work. They've privileged human perception of circumstances and completely foregrounded unbelief and so they reject god's plan just for a minute will you turn back to me to page five Uh, the author of the epistle of hebrews uh, has our passage in mind and what he's doing he's talking to some of god's covenant people who have put their faith in the lord jesus christ and many of them have left judaism behind and now they're being disinherited and they're suffering and they're struggling. struggling. So the, this author of Hebrews brings Psalm 95 into play because it's a reflection on our passage, this, these events, and also our passage. And, and here's what he said. He quotes Psalm 95. It's there in verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, that would work for you as well and me. Today, if you hear God's voice, what does he say? Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of the testing in the wilderness? Note how much language about heart. Where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, they saw all that I did. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their hearts. Where's the main problem? They've not known my ways. Verse 12, and this, is, this might be, this would If you have a takeaway thought, here's the the heart of today's sermon. Hebrews 3.12, take care, siblings, God's covenant people, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Here's a major problem that we have. God's plan is so great. I save you by my grace and make you my people. I lead you through the wilderness. And one day you will inherit the new heavens and the new earth. One of our big problems is we don't like life in the wilderness. Life in the wilderness is hard and difficult, full of strain and struggle. And sometimes we harden our hearts against God because we're not in the new heavens and the new earth yet. But I promise you, sisters and brothers, it's coming. God's plan is good. And we're not there yet. We're in the wilderness. This is when we live, when things are not the way they're supposed to be and not the way that they will be. But look back at the passage, verse 13. Exhort one another every day. Keep telling each other the truth, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Don't let sin trick you. Down again, verse 15. Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, who was it who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? With whom was God provoked for 40 years? Wasn't those who sinned whose bodies fell? in the wilderness to whom did he swear that he would that they would not enter his rest but those who were disobedient now listen to how the disobedient here disobedience is described what disobedience does he mean so we see that they were unable to enter they couldn't obey and follow god's plan why because of unbelief That was the disobedience. They didn't trust God, so they didn't obey. The root sin was a failure to believe that God was good and that His His promises were reliable. So they didn't go in and receive a gift because they didn't believe. You and I live in a very, very similar situation. Have you ever thought? I remember thinking this all the time as a kid. Have you ever thought, man, if I'd have lived through the Exodus? I'd have trusted God no matter what. If I'd have seen the Red Sea part, if I could have seen those waters wall up and maybe some whales in there, like you know the, the Disney movie. Anyway, if if I'd have seen all that, man, I, I would have. I, I never would have rejected God. Oh my goodness! If, if 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 I could have seen the pillar of fire at night, evidence, symbolic evidence that Yahweh was with us. If I could have seen the the cloud by day. Not just that God was with us when we can't, but God led us to the wilderness. If I could have seen it, oh, I would, have, I would have obeyed him. But don't miss what the passage is saying and what Hebrews is saying. Uh, the, the, the problem is not with our eyes, it's with our hearts. We don't need more evidence, we need grace. So if you're struggling today, if, there, if you have deep doubts and deep struggles today and you feel your heart Your heart hardening toward God, I'll tell you what to do. Get on your knees and ask for mercy and grace. Do you feel your heart being led away from God and his promises? Get on your knees and say, oh Lord, I don't want to have a hard heart. Oh Lord, I want to have a soft heart. I need you. I'm not a heart surgeon, Lord. Your arms aren't short. My arms are short. Oh Lord, please, please give me a soft heart so I can trust you and believe you. I don't ever want to reject you, Lord. That's the main point of the passage and the sermon today. Stick with God and stick with his plan. That leads us to the third point, and that's simply this. Jesus is God's plan. So whatever you do, don't reject Jesus. Now, I was having a conversation one time with a well-known, well-published Old Testament scholar... And I was telling him about my jealousy uh, for translating Yahweh in the Old Testament, Yahweh in English, so that we don't forget there's a name all over the Old Testament, okay? And he was agreeing with me. And we were talking about how the fact that the name Yahweh in the Old Testament, Yahweh is there over 6,800 times, and English translations, the Lord, all capitals. It looks like a title, and it kind of obscures that reality. So we were talking about that, you know, and we were saying, you know, not just Yahweh, the name, but like even in the the praise psalms where it says Hallelujah, you know, that Yah is a you know is a diminutive of affection for Yahweh's name. It's like calling Robert Rob or Robbie, you know. We were talking about that and how Elijah is My God is Yah. Well, there's one of those really interesting ones in our passage today, and at some point I didn't print it. Sorry, but. Numbers 13, 16 tells us that Moses changed someone's name. His name was Hoshea. Hoshua. And it means that God saves, God is salvation. And Moses was, Moses was uncomfortable with that generic God is salvation. So he changed Hoshea's name to Yeshua or Joshua. Because Yahshua means Yahweh is salvation. So track me here for a minute because it's a little confusing so in the old testament there's a hebrew name yeshua and we in english we call that person joshua when you take joshua or yeshua into the greek new testament it sounds like Jesus. and in english we say joshua and yesus like this jesus That Old Testament professor looked at me and said, yeah, Yahweh's really important in the Old Testament, but it kind of disappears in the New Testament. I said, no, it doesn't. Every time we say Jesus, we're saying Yeshua, we're saying Yahweh saves. Jesus is Yahweh's salvation. And so I want you to see one particular way it matters for us today. See, these people were in the wilderness. They were supposed to go in the promised land. They were supposed to just go and receive God's gift, God's inheritance, just take it by faith but they failed, they rebelled, they disobeyed. Think about your savior for a minute. Do you remember John the Baptist had all of Israel coming out to him? Where? In the wilderness. At the Jordan River. Back to the roots, Israel. Let's go back to the Jordan. Let's go back to the wilderness. And what was he doing? It was a baptism for the repentance of sins. In other words, Israel had to go see that great final prophet and say, we failed. We failed to be Israel. We failed as God's covenant people. And they went out and they got baptized again. I mean, not again, again, but they came out after one another and got baptized, admitting that they had failed. And then what happened? Wild hair shirt John's cousin Jesus comes out into the wilderness. And he says, I'll be baptized too. And John's like, whoa, who am I to baptize you? And Jesus says, no, no, we're going to fulfill all righteousness right here, right now. And then Jesus steps into the nasty waters of the Jordan that represent the rebellion of God's covenant people. And Jesus says, I identify with my people at their worst. I know they always rebel. I will take their place. And Jesus is baptized and the heavens open and the father's voice says that's my son with him i'm well pleased but what happens next when the heavens open and the father's voice comes then the spirit descends on jesus like a dove and what does it do it leads jesus into the wilderness For 40 days, not into the promised land for 40 days where there's milk and honey and big, huge grapes. No, 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 into the wilderness for 40 days where there's nothing but deprivation. He doesn't eat or drink for 40 days, but what does he do? He faces every temptation and he obeys. Don't you see that Yahweh is salvation in Jesus? You and I are rebellious like the old Israel, but if we believe in Jesus, we're in. Jesus is the only obedient son there ever has been. And if you believe in Jesus, all of God's promises in him for you are yes and amen. Jesus is the obedient Joshua. Jesus is the only one who's ever obeyed. And so he's earned the inheritance. And if you believe in him, That inheritance belongs to you. Think about his obedience. He obeyed going out into his baptism. He obeyed in the wilderness for 40 days. Facing someone way stronger than the descendants of Anak, by the way. He comes out of the wilderness. He goes uh, into Jerusalem, Judea, and Galilee. And what does he do? But he obeys the Father again and again and again. All the way to the point of death. Even death on the cross. Jesus is God's salvation. He's the obedience that we failed to offer God. And because we have failed to obey God, he dies in the place of the wicked and rebellious. Jesus is God's plan for salvation. So hear this, don't reject him. God in love sent his son for your salvation. Whatever you do, don't reject him. You and I have weak faith, but we need it to be strengthened. We'll seek that at his table. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus, how thankful we are that you are our savior. We confess that you, the object of our faith, are strong and mighty, but our faith is weak. So, oh, Lord Jesus, living king, mighty God, Yahweh's salvation. Will you please strengthen our weak faith here and now? Amen.